Welcome to Bound and Determined, the podcast. I'm your host, Meg McKean. We hold this space to learn from, to grow with, to support, and to celebrate all of the women in insurance. I am so glad that you're here. I'm inspired to be in conversation with our inaugural guest today, Allison Hamilton Rowe. Allison is the founder of Daily Outfit, and together we'll learn that style is so much more than the clothes that we wear. It's personal. Off we go. Allison, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you about this topic, Meg. It's so interesting and timely that you would be with me today on the podcast as I just uh, wrapped up a pretty elaborate closet renovation. I really was thinking about you and many of the lessons that I've learned as I've gotten to know you and the work that you do uh, more as I was making really thoughtful decisions about which of my clothing items and shoes and handbags and belts and scarves, you name it, would be joining me on the next chapter of this journey. And I really thought about oh, it. I love it that you put it that way. That makes me so happy because that's really what it's all about. You know, clothing is your introduction. And all of these things that you choose to adorn yourself with also can embody who you are and speak to your journey. So I love that you were thoughtful about that as you were going through your closet organization. And I, I honestly believe that everyone should be thoughtful about that every season. You know, what do I want to bring forward with me? What do I want to leave behind? I love that. And, and I think the intentionality of it is really the key. So, mm-hmm. so often I think we go through the motions and I find myself grabbing the same five articles of clothing from my closet. And I think a lot of us do that categorically. And I realized how many things that I was really hanging on to that represent a life and a time that no longer serve me. And it was mm-hmm. really, I'll be honest, it's just clothes, right? But I really carried a lot of pressure as I was starting to make these decisions, I'm not, you know, I've spent a lot of money. I've spent a lot of time amassing some of these tangible items and will it be challenging for uh, me to let them go? But I realized as I think about the framing of my life today, how many of those things really don't fit, pun intended, um, in some yeah. in some ways. So um, I would love to dig in a little bit more to your your own journey. You use that word, I use it a lot as I talk about my professional journey. But tell me how you came to be the founder of Daily Outfit. Tell me a little bit more about your path. Ah, it's kind of a long story. So I'll try to give you the short version and then you can, I guess, ask questions about the things that are interesting for you. I started the business because I wanted to start a business. So I wasn't a stylist before. I was someone who had always been very interested in style. I was an autodidact. So I, you know, I read Seventeen magazine when I was younger Then I graduated to Sassy and Vogue and I'm dating myself here, but 
you know, just loved fashion journalism, but also all along the way was very cognizant of the fact that there wasn't a voice out there speaking to me as a woman who was in the corporate world, who was coming up and becoming a leader, who, you know, had a certain budget, who maybe wasn't the quote unquote ideal size. Because when when I was coming up, fashion was really for blonde, thin, rich, white women. And um, so when I started the business, I was aware of that and tuned into that, but it never would have occurred to me to start the business that I started had I not reached out and asked my entire network of people that I really loved and trusted. So not my entire network. It wasn't like I put it up on LinkedIn, which didn't exist at the time, but whatever. Um, (laughs) I sent out an email to my friends and family and I said, if you've ever wanted to tell me what to do, now's the time. And Daily Outfit was what came back. That's fantastic. I say all the time when you can marry your passion and your gifts with the work that you do, it really is the sweet spot for most of us women. So kudos to you for asking the question. That's where it starts with that curiosity. And then also leaning into the answer. I am so curious about that time that you were working in that corporate environment, because I think Mm. a lot of a lot of our listeners today are maybe sitting in a cubicle or sitting in an office, yes. maybe looking around and, and maybe seeing people that maybe don't look like them, maybe don't think like them in a variety of ways. And tell me about how you expressed your style during that time. Was that a challenge for you? Tell me about that experience. Well, I think the place I would like to start in telling that story is the young woman that I was when I moved to New York City young, married, uh, a couple of years out of school. I was moving from California where I had lived for a little while and I really didn't have a corporate wardrobe per se because I had been in filmmaking before that. So I needed a day job. I needed to pay my rent as you do in New York City. And I needed to create something quickly Uh, with a small budget that was appropriate. And so funnily enough, we lived above a dry cleaner laundry. You know, he he did both. So we would, my husband would carry down our big duffel bag of laundry on Sunday and drop it off. And he would pick it up on Friday and bring it back up the stairs because we lived at the top of a six floor walk up. (laughs) So I developed this system where I had two weeks of clothing and everything that I purchased had to work within one week. So it was a capsule wardrobe before capsule wardrobes were a thing. And as I talked about it with my friends and, you know, trying to really get that, like you said, sweet spot of value and wearability, you know, it it was really important for me to buy the least amount of things because I had a budget, but have the most, you know, cost per wear. And so as I started talking about this project, people got really excited, men and women, and they wanted to know how I was doing it. And then a couple of my friends asked me to do this for them. And so that was kind of where my styling for other people started. I love it. 
I love it. And I, I love the very natural evolution of that often comes from necessity, right? That you have a budget, you have a certain amount of, of hours in the day. And it sounds like you're offering a pretty approachable solution, which is number one in my book. Um, tell me about what it looks like to work with you. So Daily Outfit is what? So the evolution from that sort of two-week wardrobe capsule idea to what a Daily Outfit has eventually become there is a middle step where I worked as a stylist, personal shopper, wardrobe review person. Um, that's kind of what stylists do. I did some training at FIT around that. I had been doing it for years for friends and family and my Barbie dolls, you know, even as a young girl. And I realized that there was a white space between being in the wardrobe or being in the dressing room with a woman who's literally at her most vulnerable in her underwear, trying things on. And the vision that she has for who she wants to be. And as I mentioned, I was very aware of this sort of condescending mean girl attitude that fashion journalism has towards the average consumer. That's sort of like, I'm going to tell you what to wear because I'm the expert. You know, that scene in Devil Wears Prada where the uh, character that Meryl Streep plays is like, little girl, you think you chose that blue sweater, but I chose that blue sweater. Do you remember that? Oh my gosh, I do. That is such a poignant moment. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, and it was belittling. And, And in the movie, she turns around and she becomes this fashion maven. And, and I want to go back a minute to something you said about, you know, it's just clothes. But the fact is, it's not just clothes. It is the time that you spend shopping. It is the resource that you've worked hard to earn to to put into those clothes. It is the time and place you're in in your journey. And it's representative. And science has proved now that this sort of concept of your self-image, you know, is so important to the action you take and the opportunities you seek and the person you become. So I really wanted to focus in on how do I help my clients create their own vision? Because I could certainly create it for them and a lot of stylists do that. But I wanted to figure out a way for her to create something for herself with me as a guide. I love that distinction. I think it's really important and it's so powerful to know that when Allison is not there in your ear or even in person, because I know that you have an option to work one-on-one together, Mm -hmm. um, that you have the knowledge and you have the power to make the best decisions for yourself. And they are so personal, you know, trends come and go. And um, there's all sorts of theories about how and where and when to spend your money on fashion-related things. But mm-hmm. trusting your instincts and really fine-tuning those, I think, is, is a really powerful skill. So I just can't, I can't speak enough to how much I really resonate with your equal importance of doing the hard work on the inside as mm-hmm. we do on the outside and how, how really closely those two are related. So let's talk specifically about fluctuating body sizes. Mm. So a lot of women listening are probably maybe not the size that they were um, when they were 25. Maybe they've had a couple kids. Maybe their priorities have shifted 
life, right? We, we are always growing and evolving as women. Right. When, and metabolism changes. Too. Yes. And yeah, right. There's so much of it that it yeah. is outside of our control. Talk to me about finding and channeling that confidence when you may not love the outward appearance right now, where your body is in the moment. Okay, so there are two questions there. One is about the fluctuating body size, and the other is about feeling good in your body and the body you have right now. And I want to take the first one first, um, because the second one is a question of tactics, and the first one's really a question of mindset. Is that okay with you? I love it, and I love the the correction in a positive way, right? Like, um, I don't know what I don't know. And I love the constant learning that I'm doing about how I'm viewing it and managing some of these hurdles in my world. So thank you. Absolutely. Two questions. Go for it. Yeah, and, and to be fair, the culture supports us thinking in negatives. So for me, it's always about changing the conversation that we're having with ourselves about who we are on the inside and how we're representing ourselves on the outside. You know, I'm deeply into reframing and keeping things positive. And, you know, so that that's like what I do all day long. <laughs> so um, it's easy for me to do that. So to talk about the mindset question of loving the body that you're in right now, I work with a lot of women who have struggled their entire lives with loving the body they're in. And I'll be honest with you, Meg, I don't always love the body that I'm in. So this is a very real struggle for me too. You know, I'm not always able to exercise in the way that I'd like. I don't always feed myself in the way that's the most healthy. You know, I'm human. Yet, when I put my clothing on, I know that every single piece of clothing that I have, including my pajamas, makes me feel really good. And that to me is the bottom line. You need to feel good today, always. So that's where we start, right? We have to be able to accept the body that we're in. And sometimes that means that if someone's attracted to working with me, they find that out in the process that they have some personal work to do about that acceptance. And sometimes it takes hypnosis. Sometimes it takes psychotherapy. Sometimes it takes a wellness program. Those are not my zones of genius. I, I can point those things out. But if someone is feeling like they want to love the body that they're in right now, I can help them do that by creating this vision of who this woman is and how she shows up every day and how she feels and specifically what that looks like, and then matching the wardrobe to that vision. That's fantastic. Again, that harmony between the feeling and the output, I think is so powerful and um, refreshing. I grew up in the same era that you did, it sounds like, with the subscriptions to um, all the teen, the teen fashion magazines. Yeah. And, and it is an interesting very formulative time in our own development of value and self-worth and beauty and looks. And I think it's something that when we're really honest with ourselves as women that we spend a lifetime working through, I don't know that we're ever done, so to speak. So I appreciate the resource that you are for women along the way. Thank you. I also think we're in an evolution in our culture around this. I mean, for eons, women were literally valued 
by how they look and what they brought to the table in terms of, you know, their dowry or the number of sheep, you know, and that's still true in some places on the planet. But for us as American women, or even, you know, in the sort of Western world, if you will, or the first world or whatever you want to call it, it really is more about a personal evolution you know, the, the things that were presented to us in those magazines when we were younger were very much inflected by the male gaze. Now that we've had Me Too and Time's Up, I think we're much more able and willing to say, I want to determine how I want to look for myself. And I don't know if you've ever heard that poem about, you know, when I'm an old lady, I'm going to wear purple. Yes, it's it's very cute. Yep. Right. And um, and I remember hearing that poem and thinking two things. Number one, I don't ever want to wear purple and a big hat and look ridiculous. But number two, I love the idea of someone wearing something that makes them feel good and deciding to do it now. What are we waiting for? You're absolutely no. right. We hear things and we pick up on things throughout our lifetime that particular color doesn't look good on me. Oh, that's not a flattering cut. That's not a, I was just joking the other day with some girlfriends that I can't wait for boot cut jeans to be back in fashion because I just find them for my body type to be so much more flattering. Mm -hmm. Are they or aren't they? I don't know. It's just my own belief about what, you know, looks good and what doesn't. So it is such a personal, a personal thing. I want to say, Meg, that probably they do, and there's probably a reason for that. And I think that that's the other piece. It's, you know, it's like when you look at a piece of artwork and people say, well, it's subjective whether you like it or not. Fashion is, and style is not subjective. It's based on data. So when I look at you and I tell you what your body type is, I can tell you exactly what cuts look good on you. That's the whole first part of my formula is determining those five aspects of what flatters you. And what I find is that most women know probably 80% of them, but they didn't know why. So like, for example, with you saying, you know, I don't know if this is the best cut for me or not, it probably is. There probably are other ones as well. But once you know why it's the best cut, then you don't have to doubt yourself. You can just say that's the best cut for me and I can wear straight leg jeans and I can wear skinnies with a knee knee high boot or whatever then you don't have to worry about that anymore. It makes so much sense. I mean, it, once we have the knowledge, we have the power, right? How, how much time, just out of curiosity, do you think women spend pondering their outfits for the day? Yeah, studies have been done about it. I can't tell you off the top of my head what the um, exact amount of time is, but I do know that it's, it's something like triple you know, the time that men spend. Uh, you know, To be fair, men are in a very small box, right? So there's very few things that they can wear and not get made fun of, Um, especially American men. Their box is very small. It's well paid, but, you know, it's still a small box. Women have much more variety, which means they have much more choice, which means they have more choices to make. So, you know, that's partly driven by the fact that we all have, we have so many different body types and the female body is harder to dress to it than, than, the, than the male body type. You know, the male body type is determined by measurements and the female body type sizes vary from brand to brand. So there are a number of reasons for it, but 
when I work with my clients, I recommend releasing those pieces that are not on your journey, like you did, Meg, but also seasonally creating looks so that it is easy to get dressed in the morning because you, sh- you, you shouldn't be spending that time. And I, I don't really like to use the word should, but unless you love it, there's no reason for you to spend a ton of time in the morning getting dressed. It should take you five minutes. I agree. I, and I think of all the things we could do with that time that yes. we release by simplifying. How do you feel about a work uniform? So there have been some some notable figures in business that have stuck to blue jeans and a black turtleneck is a common one. I think about the women that might be listening here who are working in a business casual environment or maybe they're client facing. And how do you feel about really developing a style and, and just sticking with that as a solution? I love the idea of developing a style and sticking to it and have it being a through line. I, I understand the desire for a work uniform, but I also want to point out that those examples that come to my mind, for example, Karl Lagerfeld basically wore the same thing every day. I think they're mostly men. I don't know that there are a whole lot of famous women who repeat the same clothing. I mean, Michelle Obama was one of the first women, I think, in public life to repeat her clothes. And it was a big deal when she did that. I like the idea of having a through line and having a clear aesthetic. And that's what I help my clients create. But I also think that there is a power to dressing that you, you release when you decide to wear a black turtleneck and jeans every day. Mm. You know what? I, I hadn't thought of it that way. And I'm recalling a time when I was client facing several days a week. It mm-hmm. was a lot to be in a slacks and blazer or a suit or some variation of that. And I found myself re-wearing and repurposing many of those pieces throughout the week. And at first thinking, how could I possibly wear the same outfit I wore yesterday? Obviously mm-hmm. with some freshening up in between, but, but there is a practicality to that, that you, know, you, you find the pieces that work and that you feel good and feel confident in and wear the heck out of them was yeah. my approach during that time. And ironically, those are some of the pieces that I said farewell to um, recently during my closet makeover because they don't serve me anymore. But mm-hmm. at the time, do we need 17 pairs of black pants? Do we need, you know, I, I, perhaps you can relate as a woman. I, I often have different pairs of, of pants that are similar based on the height of the heel of my shoe. So Mm -hmm. I have the pencil pant for a heel and then I have a little longer with a flat. You've kind of fill in the blank and it's funny how no one knows the length of my pants or frankly cares, but yet in my mind, I've got to, you know, everything's got to be hemmed to the perfect length. And I realize how much mental energy and time I've spent uh, making sure that those little tweaks are just perfect when at the end of the day, few people are probably noticing, so... Okay, so I want to ask a question about that because I feel like I feel like there's there is some truth to that, but at the same time I disagree respectfully. I believe that when you feel like everything is on point and those I's are dotted and those T's are crossed, that you feel more confident. You're not thinking about the hem of your pant 
when you're going into that meeting, but you know that everything is working. And while the person who's meeting you might not be specifically looking at the hem of your pant, if your pants were not hemmed, or if they were hemmed at the wrong length, they would notice. And they might not notice enough to say something about it to someone else, they might, they might not, but there's all this subconscious stuff that goes on when we meet someone for the first time or subsequent times. So if you're going into a meeting and you want someone to see you as thorough, careful, detail-oriented, competent is one that comes up a lot uh, for my clients. They're at that point in their careers where they really want to be seen as an equal partner better yet a leader. They want people to see their competence. They deeply understand it themselves. And part of that is that detail-oriented bit. The knowing that your hem is, is correct, knowing that the jacket fits right, knowing that the color is in alignment with who you are and what you represent. All of that, are they're very small, nuanced messages that go out to the person that's meeting you and are received. So interesting. There's, it's such a balance, right? Like, and I think I, I love that reframing because there is nothing wrong with having 17 pairs of black pants, right? As long as they are serving a purpose. And I think where well, I... I would also disagree with that. <laughs> I would say, you know, you, you, I mean, to go back to the two weeks of clothes, you really only need two weeks of clothes. Yes. Yeah. For each season. So if you're in a season less place, you might want three. Otherwise, you're going to be replenishing your wardrobe a lot, especially if it's a warm place. But for those of us who are living in a three or four season place, you really don't need more than that because you're refreshing your clothing every season with different pieces. So you might in total have 17 pairs of trousers, but I would guess that you really don't, I mean, there are only 14 days in two weeks. So <laughs> just doing the math, you don't actually need 17 pairs of trousers. You are so correct. And it's about really investing in the single or two pair of trousers that work for your body and your lifestyle correct. and are hemmed to the right length, right? <laughs> I think yes. That's, a, that's yes. a, more is not always more, so to speak. So yes. And to just Put a more fine point on it, if if you'll allow me. Yeah. Hemming the pant may not be the thing that is important for someone else. So it may be more important for someone else to wear a frayed hem because the first impression that they're trying to give is someone who's maybe a little bit more creative or insouciant or, you know, rebellious. There are so many different tactics that we can use, and I call it style language, to convey the message that we want to convey, the key is to figure out what you want to communicate to other people and how you want to communicate to yourself on the daily and make sure that your clothing serves that message. 
I love that. And thank you again for the reframing. And I'm glad that you put a finer point on it because I think what I'm taking away, I know what I'm taking away from this conversation is that this isn't a one size fits all approach and it is very personal and what works for me may not work for someone else. And I think it brings up an interesting point that because in the insurance industry, we've, we wear multiple hats regardless of our mm-hmm. role. So um, for many of us, we might be working in a corporate environment, but our clients might be in say construction or in like you said, the creative world or doing a very non-corporate function. And so Mm -hmm. there's this idea of meeting your clients where they are. And Mm -hmm. so typically, historically, the belief has been that wearing a suit and, and for a man, a tie creates an air of authority. And then there's also been a more recent approach that is by dressing in a way that echoes the way that your clients dress, that you're actually creating more approachability and accessibility, which is something mm-hmm. that we're striving for in the insurance industry, knowing that we're selling a product and we're working in a space where there's a lot of confusion and some inherent fear and doubt. So accessibility yeah. and approachability are important. How do you feel about the idea of dressing for your client versus dressing for that air of authority. Do you have any opinions on that? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I'm, I'm, I think this, this is a, a really common conundrum, I think, yes. for a lot of professionals in the industry. So I think what I would say is to invite you to think about that impression that you want to give. So getting away from, from the one size fits all, as you said, back to what kind of an insurance professional you want to be. Because you're basically each of you running your own list, right? So you've got your own sets of clients and you're representing your own particular products from the particular company that you work for, right? Absolutely. Yep. So there's going to be one guy who goes to the construction site in jeans and a plaid shirt, and that will work for him. And there's going to be a woman who walks onto that same site in a suit and I'm not choosing the gender for any particular reason, but just as an example, and it will work for her because that's what she needs to convey. And that's what her clients want to see. So it's really about figuring out who your ideal client is and what your list looks like and who you want to serve. Does that resonate? It does. And I think that's the paradox that right now we're really working through. Mm -hmm. is that why does the blue jeans and the flannel shirt work or plaid, not flannel, plaid? Um, Why does that work on one hand, but a suit and heels is required on the other? And a lot of it is so dependent on the audience, right? That I have seen plenty of examples where jeans and a button down are totally acceptable, even in a corporate setting. And I think we're in this interesting time where there really is a shift. And I don't know that there is a right answer, but I think leaning into your instincts as you've indicated and really knowing what you want to convey and what your customer expects to see from you is really, really important. I also think that it makes sense to use as a guide this idea of kind of what's appropriate, but also overdressing a little bit, if that's comfortable for you. That's kind of the the rule of thumb that I go with. So I'm not going to walk into a church in Italy without having my shoulders covered because there are actually signs outside the door that say that's what you need to do. So I'm not trying to buck the system there and be the person in the tank top. 
that's what's appropriate and that's what's expected in that space. So if you're going to, to a office that's very corporate, the people in that office are going to have a hard time even understanding you as a serious person if you're not appropriate to that situation. At the same time, you can convey who you are in a formal way. Does that make sense? It does. It absolutely does. And it actually, it brings to mind a little nugget of wisdom that I accumulated early on in my career. And that was the idea of dressing for the job that you want, not necessarily the job that you have. And, and I think it works when you're talking about clients as well. And I like the idea mm-hmm. of airing on the side of being more formal, more put together than less, especially when you're uncertain. I think that's really powerful. And also remembering, and, and this is a little bit of a reminder to myself, that we can still insert our own personal style, even in the mm-hmm. confines of maybe what our clients and, and our colleagues expect from us in terms of outward appearance. And I see a lot of women in my network doing that. And I think it's really powerful yes. to still be able to maintain your own individual style. Well, and that's where you get the accessibility piece. So for example, Madeline Albright is famous for her brooches and she would wear, you know, a specific brooch to the, for the specific occasion. And that's how she personalized her suits. At the same time, they're conversation starters. The queen does the same thing. You know, you can use your clothing at, it's called um, sartorial diplomacy. And you can use your clothing to start a conversation to let the person know that you've done your homework and you understand something about them and want to know more about where they're coming from. And at the same time, you're expressing a piece of your own individuality, which allows you to meet on a personal level. I love that. And I I think that it's really powerful, whether you are the one maybe wearing that brooch or that piece of unique jewelry, whatever that might be, or it's your client delivering a compliment is such a great way to equalize a conversation, to endear yourself to someone or be endeared to. How fantastic of a give is that to wear something interesting and then allow Mm -hmm. someone to pay you a compliment in that way. It's a really powerful gesture. And I love that you've called out some really interesting women in, in our history because I never thought about them in that context, that there was a very intentional plan, I suspect, to express themselves in that Mm -hmm. way. I love it. Um, And a brooch in particular being a very feminine item, right? That is a a uniquely feminine approach. And and I love that. I'm going to have to go back and review some history notes there. So thank you. (laughs) And thank you for introducing and thanks for introducing a new word into my vocabulary as well. Very cool. You could do it with scarves though. You could do it with, as you said, jewelry. You could do it with pattern. You could do it with color. There are so many ways that you can convey and also remind yourself who you are, who you want to be, how you want to show up. I have a story around this that has to do with a man that I coached, but it's useful for women as well. He was uh, an older gentleman still in the workforce and, and having trouble in interviews, sort of conveying what makes him special because people would look at him and kind of discount him um, because he's older, but he's a computer programmer has been in the business for a long time, very good at what he does. So I asked him, what is the thing that makes you really unique and amazing about, you know, what you do? Uh, What's the thing you want your interviewer to hear more than anything? 
he immediately had an answer, which was, I can always find the bugs. And I honestly don't even know what that means or what that looks like or how he does it. But the thing that came to my mind uh, was, all right, then let's find you a tie or a watch strap or some socks or cufflinks or buttons you can put on your coat that have bugs on them. And someone may pick up on it and they may make a comment on it. Even if they don't, you can look at that and remind yourself to bring it up in the conversation and remind yourself, even if you don't bring it up, that you are unique and amazing at this particular thing. And that brings a breadth of experience to bear that will give you confidence. That's such a fantastic story. I love that. And I know every single person listening has their own unique gift that makes them fantastically uniquely who they are. And I love channeling it in a physical way. And then also being reminded a job interview is a stressful, a loaded emotional event. And often we don't say the things that we wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And, And that's a great visual reminder to ourselves in that moment. So, oh, that's so powerful. Thank you so much. This is fun. You know, show that he has a sense of humor. And and I think that's something that is an equalizer, especially in our incredibly fractured world right now, you know, to come across and just be willing to share and be a little um, vulnerable and transparent about what makes you super awesome is just really, what am I trying to say? Evens the playing field for everyone. Yeah. And I, oh, you're so right about all of this is interplayed in a time and a culture that oh, we need more, need more harmony, needless to say. Um, I have two questions as we, yes. we wrap this up and this has been just a wonderful conversation. Thank you again for being here that we did not pre-planned. So these are a little rapid fire, but I hope as an expert, you'll be able to answer them with ease. Uh, I would love to know the single item of clothing that you have in your collection that is your go-to. I love that question. No one's ever asked me that question before. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, or you're welcome. You can take that however you want. (laughs) So, you know, it's funny because the thing that immediately came to my mind when you asked that is I have this necklace that is a statement piece. It's black onyx, but it's um, flowers made out of black onyx. And when I first saw it, I thought there's absolutely no way I can wear that. It's so cool looking, but it's too dark for me. But then I find myself reaching for it so often, especially when I'm speaking. And if you'll pardon a little woo-woo, what I understand is that onyx is a protection stone and a magnifier. So, yeah. Bring on the woo-woo. I love it. I know. (laughs) So even even if you don't believe that, I thought that is a cool thing for me to prime myself with or actually prompt myself because I'm thinking about it out loud in a conscious way, that I'm surrounding my throat with not only protection, but also magnification. So it's so powerful to be conveying my words, my thoughts, my experience. And it's such a feminine piece, but at the same time, it's big and bold and intense. And that's 
totally who I am. Yeah, that would be, that would be my choice. That's amazing. I love that on so many levels. And my last (laughs) question, if the women who are listening had $100 to spend, what would you suggest or recommend that they do with it? And it could be a thing. It could be an experience. It could be anything under the sun. Mm. Well, I, I have to say, I would recommend that they buy my mini course. <laughs> if that wasn't a layup, I don't know. I don't know what was. I love it. It's really good. It tells you everything you need to know about personal style. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in this topic, that's what you need to do. And it's less than $100. And you can buy it and still take yourself and your friend out to lunch. Oh, I love that. And I hope that the women listening do because the hope of a conversation like this is that it sparks action and that feels like a very good next step for the women listening. I also want to throw out that you have shared with me that you have a virtual summit coming up on January yes. 29th. In the show notes here, I'll share some more information about how our listeners can join you for the virtual summit. And thank you on behalf of all of us who are out there in the world navigating personal style and on these personal and professional development journeys, having people like you that are offering resources like this and in such a candid and transparent way is just so welcome. So thank you. Thank you you for that. If people wanted to find you right now, where should they go? Dailyoutfit.com. Perfect. And Mm -hmm. I know that you are on LinkedIn because I see you there all the time. So I also would encourage people to connect with you there. Yes, please. I want to close with a quote. I recently featured you in a feature that I do on Fridays on LinkedIn, where I highlight a powerful woman in my network. I asked you to summarize the work that you do in one short sentence. And part of it's because LinkedIn has a character limit. And also because I think it's an important exercise for us to really get granular about what it is we do and why we do it. And I'm going to close with this comment. Women are an unstoppable force, but their number one source of shame is how they look. I want to change this paradigm so every woman can walk out the door feeling beautiful and confident every day. So Allison, I want to thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself and about the work that you're doing so that we can all feel unstoppable and more confident as we move about the world. Yes, please. Let's do that. You've been listening to Bound and Determined, the podcast hosted by me, Meg McKean. Theme music produced and performed by Amy Gerhartz. Learn more about the podcast, including sponsorship opportunities and how to become a guest at adjunctadvisors.com. Thanks for listening.